In just a moment, I'm going to be reading uh, from John's Gospel, chapter 4. We're uh, in this series thinking about setting sail and what is God-centered worship. And uh, the theme sentence we've given ourselves is First Baptist Church honors God with extravagant love, seeking God's mysterious and loving presence individually and together. Seeking God's mysterious presence individually and together. And we're going to read from John 4 about that mysterious and wondrous presence in just a moment. So I invite you to have your Bibles ready. Before we do that, I'd like to lead us in a prayer. Let's take a breath and just enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then I'll lead us in voicing a prayer to the Father as our family prayer. Oh God, thank you for this closer walk, this precious relationship with you. And we thank you for this privilege of exploring the mystery and joy and the many dimensions of worship. We ask that you give us ready hearts. We pray today for those who are struggling and suffering. We pray for those victims of fire in California, for the devastation of the homelessness that it produces, and for our sisters and brothers in Louisiana, that you would care for them and watch over them and restore them and bless our team as they go, that they would have safety and blessings and and be used by you in so many ways as they refresh the lives of others. And we pray, God, for those within our own church uh, field who are drowning in grief or drowning in poverty or hunger or drowning in hopelessness or spiritual lostness. We pray for those struggling with illness and surgery and, and all sorts of personal and family issues. We ask today that you bless our men and women in the armed forces, that you would keep them safe. And we pray for peace in Syria, in the Middle East, in Iraq and Afghanistan. We ask God that you bless our partners everywhere, particularly this morning we think about Ukraine and Sergei and Elisei as they preach and minister on this Lord's Day Uh, in Lviv and other cities in the region. We ask God that you cleanse our hearts, forgive us and fill us with your spirit. Give us ears ready to hear the fresh truth you have for us. It's in Christ that I pray. Amen. Now I'm going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 4, and I'm going to be uh, reading in verse 7. So if you're able, would you stand please as I read aloud from John's Gospel, The uh, fourth chapter, beginning in verse 7. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come, uh, keep coming here to draw water. 
Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am He, the one who is speaking to you. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Elie Wiesel, who recently died, was of course a a famous survivor of the Nazi concentration camps. He was a teenager at the time. And he tells about that frantic moment when uh, the Nazis realized that the Allied troops were coming and the Nazis kept trying to hide the death camp prisoners and they'd move them from camp to camp and they'd march all day and march all night. And Elie Wiesel tells in his famous book, Night how the the prisoners had gone without food and water for so long that they were absolutely parched. And he said they were blessed when it started snowing because he said as the snow fell, as you marched, you could reach and on the shoulder of the person marching in front of you, you could scoop up some snow and put it in your mouth so that you might have some moisture to survive. And he tells that story and goes into great detail about, about, about how parched they were and how how frantic they were for a drink. Indeed, water is basic to our survival, isn't it? We have to have water. Uh, The human body can go a long time without food, so they tell me. I really wouldn't know. But the human body can go a long time without food, but we can't go very long without water. It's absolutely basic to our survival. And so a very fitting and apt metaphor for Jesus to talk about with the Samaritan woman, what it means to have a thirst for God, to try to fill your life with other things, but to know that only God can quench that thirst, and to know that what Jesus was talking about as he, as he talked to all of us about how we are all incurably religious. We are all incurably religious, whether we acknowledge it or not. We're thirsty for that divine encounter. And so Jesus ended up talking to her not only about the thirst for God, but specifically how we experience the quenching of that thirst through worship. And quite a conversation happened between them about worship. Now the woman was a woman who experienced exclusion and exclusion from worship because of her lifestyle and because of her her pedigree. Uh, This picture on the screen is is a fairly common painting Uh, you see in Bibles, uh, ones like it. It's the woman of Samaria with her jar encountering Jesus at the noon hour. It's it's a great picture. It's a traditional one. I actually like this second one 
which is less traditional, which is not what you would normally see. Uh, it's, it's very different and very graphic in another way. You notice how the woman's expression uh, is one of fear and lack of trust and vulnerability. And you see the dark circles under her eyes betraying uh, the sense that her life has been sort of used up by other people. And I think it's very haunting in its uh, depiction of the compassion in Jesus' eyes and the, the, the confusion in her eyes as she grips the water jar. Now, the Samaritan woman was excluded uh, at several counts. We, we know that, first of all, she'd been married several times, and she was now living with a man who was not her husband. Uh, and in, in Jewish culture, that was exclusion. Now, before you judge her too fast, uh, you need to remember the way women were treated in Jesus' day. Uh, they had no rights. Uh, they could be used up and thrown away like an empty pop can, an empty soda can. Uh, And so maybe her lifestyle had not so much to do with her poor choices as the fact that she had very few choices in terms of survival. But at any rate, uh, all of that, all of that, that background in terms of her, of her experiences with men made her excluded from uh, proper church society. And then the other strike against her, of course, uh, was that she was Samaritan. Just the quickest history lesson I can give you about Samaritans. When the Jews went into exile, there were some who stayed behind in the homeland, just the, just the scruffy, uh, low-class people. They were left behind in the homeland, and over the generations, they ended up, ended up marrying their conquerors, marrying the enemy and having children. And those children had children, and those half-breeds, pardon the phrase, those impure Jewish, not quite Jewish people became known as Samaritans. And that was a dirty word because they were considered less than pure race. So politically, religiously, ethnically, she was excluded because of all of those things. Now here's the thing that surprised me as I began to prepare these, this sermon series on worship. Uh, worship as a, something that requires a warning label. The thing that surprised me was how much our worship says about who's welcome here and who's not welcome here. We don't realize it, but it says a bunch about the way we worship, about when we worship, how we worship, about all of those things, about who's excluded, who's excluded, who's in, who's out, uh, who's welcome, who's not. Uh, you probably know by now, three and a half years in, that one of the reasons that we transitioned the 1045 worship service to a praise and worship service was because people who don't go to church find what we do on Sunday morning something like a foreign language. They don't know the songs. They don't know the language. They don't know the Bible stories. And the way we worship, we didn't intend it, but it actually excludes them. And so to, to provide a worship service that speaks their heart language through music is a way to be a bridge and to reach people. It's the evangelism of worship. And the way we worship says a lot about whether or not we really are interested in reaching people. 
You know, uh, I have a vision for this church as we set sail uh, for implementing our new future. My vision is that we would be a church where we experience the music of Bach and the music of rock, where we experience written litanies as well as the freedom to shout amen, clap our hands, and even raise our arms. There have been times in worship when I wanted to raise my arms, but I was afraid I might get carried out. You know, we need that freedom to be who we are, And I got to thinking that if we became a church that was as comfortable lighting candles as we are lighting up the sanctuary with a lot of loud drums and guitars, that we might have to call ourselves Bapticostal or Episco Holy Roller or put it all together, Episco Baptist Roller. How's that? To where we understand that worship should not be creating barriers. Worship should be creating connections. Worship should not be about dividing, but about connecting. And worship should be about blessings, not barriers. And of course, letting everyone know, no matter their lifestyle, as Jesus let this Samaritan woman know, everyone's welcome. Everyone may drink of God's water, no matter who you are, no matter what lifestyle you're in, no matter what you've done. Everybody may drink from God's well. If you look carefully at the verses, when Jesus starts poking around too personally in her private life, she changes the subject to start an argument about worship. Isn't that interesting? He was getting too close, so she defaults to, well, let's start an argument about worship. Samaritans believe that we worship on Mount Gerizim You Jews believe you worship at Jerusalem. Let's fuss about that. And you know what Jesus said? He said, the where of worship is not nearly as important as the who and the how. He says, you know, woman, the day is coming when we're not going to worship on either of these mountains. The hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And by the way, spirit and truth are mentioned twice in two verses. That usually means it's pretty important worshiping in spirit and truth. And I have this theory that one of the reasons we all like to argue about worship is that's a convenient way to keep God at a distance. You know, if we can... If we can talk about our worship preferences and the things we like and dislike, that's a convenient way to not have to deal with the terror of the holy God. Because remember, worship comes with a warning label. This could change your life. And sometimes our fussing about worship is just a distraction to keep God at a distance. Jesus said twice, those who worship God must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Did you catch that? In spirit and in truth. Now, we respectable middle-class Baptists have gotten the truth part down pretty well. Uh, We worship very cerebrally. We worship in our heads. We worship with our reason. 
But I'm not sure how well we worship in our spirits. The great Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel once experienced a nearly fatal heart attack. And uh, after he began a slow, modest recovery, he was reflecting on his life and told a friend, he said, you know, I've had a great life. I've lived miracles. And then he said, all of my life, I've never once asked God for fame, for riches, for wisdom, or for power. He said, I've only asked God for one thing. I've asked God for wonder. I want to experience wonder. And he said, God gave it to me. That's what's missing in worship. A sense of wonder. That the creator of this cosmos could love us. And send Jesus to die for us. And make a way for us to know him and be known by him. To experience forgiveness. To experience the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The wonder that God would love us. In spirit and truth we are to worship. Not just with intellectual truth. But with spirit and truth. Richard Rohr uh, has reminded us that when worship becomes too much in our heads, we, we come to church and we deal with the idea of God. But dealing with the idea of God is not the same as experiencing God. See, the idea of godness is just a concept. It's like you're voting. Well, do I give the idea of godness good marks this week? Do I accept the idea of godness based on what's happened to me subjectively this week? Now, that's dealing with an idea. And we're still in control. We're still in charge. Because we're making judgment on an idea. But Rohr reminds us God's presence is known when we worship in spirit and truth. And we're not dealing with the idea of godness. We are experiencing God. And when we experience God, we are no longer in control. We become vulnerable. We're not calling the shots. God is. And that, I think, is what the woman at the well was afraid of. She, she was afraid that this was just more, one more time in her life when she'd lost control. And it was difficult for her to be vulnerable as it is for us. God's best gift, Sunday after Sunday, and every day we meet God in our quiet time, God's best gift is the gift of God's self to us. God chooses to be present with us in worship experience. That is an infinitely valuable gift that God presents himself in love and gratitude. And then, you know, a phrase that as many times as I have preached this passage, somehow or other I never gave it much thought. And one of the commentaries helped me. Jesus also said, not only that we are to worship the Father in spirit and truth, he says, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. Did you know that the Father seeks 
you in worship. The Father seeks to have worship experience with us. Now, that's different from the image most of us have with God on God's throne, sitting there drumming his fingers on a table like the lonely Maytag repairman hoping somebody this week needs him. He's not sitting passively, hoping we will come to him, hoping we'll finally have sense enough to know we need him. God is pursuing us with extravagant love. God is coming after us like the hound of heaven with with that relentless love. And he longs to worship, to have us with him in experience of worship. A powerful image that changes God from passive to actively seeking. And that's why that verse is so powerful from verse 14. And I want to put it on the screen from the message uh, as it's translated. The water I give, Jesus said, will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. That, Jesus says will quench the deepest thirst of your life when you begin to practice encounters with this dangerous, terrifying, loving, merciful God. Amazing. Absolutely astounding. True story told by a pastor. A gentleman started visiting his church. He came in and sat at the back, very disheveled, not looking very well-kept. And those who sat near him realized that many of the services he attended, he was drunk. He was seeking the wrong kind of water of life, and it wasn't satisfying or fixing any of his problems. But over the months, almost imperceptibly, they noticed a change started looking a little more together, started finally participating in the greeting time, started moving up a little bit from the back corner, began staying till the end of the service to shake hands with the pastor at the door. And then more time passed, and he began to smile. He began to interact. He began to serve on some of the church's ministries, And the people who had known him, his old crowd, noticed that he was dressing differently. He was smiling more. There was something deep within him. And somebody finally asked him, what happened to you? And here's what he said. I fell in love with God. I fell in love with God. through worship, through a church that didn't judge him, that loved him and made space for him. He fell in love with God. Let's pray together. Take a moment just to be silent in God's presence, to formulate appropriate response to think about what the Father has been teaching your heart this morning.
Maybe this morning you've never trusted Christ. And you're so thirsty in your soul to know forgiveness, to know self-worth, to know a belonging that is eternal. If you're ready to turn your life over to Christ or if you've done that recently and want to share with us during our response time in a moment, we invite you to come and share that with us. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but you found here a church home and you want to officially belong or come and pray about a special calling on your life or some fresh commitment you're you're making. Whatever it is, maybe right where you stand in the response time this morning, there's something you can settle with God. Let's take a moment of silence and get that all ready and prepared. Amen.